Well, good morning. My name is Kelly Lipensky, and as Reverend Jan Cook mentioned, I'm one of the seminary interns here. I'm from Princeton Seminary, although Seattle is my hometown. And even though it seems like Alex and I, the other intern, traveled a long way to get here this summer, we, are both have, we both have some history here in Southern California. I started at Azusa Pacific in 2007, and that same year I also came to this community for the first time. I worked with Young Life and was a volunteer Young Life leader at San Marino High School for four years, so this summer feels like a bit of a homecoming. And before we dive into our scripture this morning, I also want to take some time, since this is almost my last Sunday, I have one more, to just say thank you to all of you sitting in the pews, to say thank you to Mary and Randy Hartfield if they're out there, um, just to say thank you to the community that embraced me. The Hartfields uh, gave me a beautiful place to stay this entire summer, and thank you to all my coworkers who have just been such an amazing support who have really shown me what it looks like to serve Christ, to collaborate with one another. And Reverend Jeff O'Grady, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be here and wouldn't have experienced an unforgettable summer that's really, really shaped me and pushed me in a new direction. So thank you for having me this morning. So our scripture this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And this is where we encounter a man by the name of Nicodemus. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one really enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Creator God, thank you that you meet us in every season of life by both night and by day. Thank you for being a God that is with us 
that your transforming love and vision for our life is bigger than any question or doubt that keeps us awake. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O God. Amen. With certain questions or encounters in life, there is simply no turning back. Just ask detectives who are assigned to solve criminal cases. I was watching Law and Order. I watch a lot of Law and Order. And the other night, it occurred to me how significant, how life-altering a single question can be. Detectives understand the importance of questions. It's their professional responsibility to ask questions that help them make observations and lead them to the truth. And if you've ever watched an episode of Law & Order, you know that all it takes is one insightful question to completely change the course of the case, to point the, direct, the detectives to the right direction, to the truth. And once they discover that truth, that leading question, there's no turning back for them. They know they're on to something good. And we see the same thing happen in Nicodemus' life. It only takes one question for his carefully constructed life to head in a radically different direction than anything he could have predicted. In other words, one question and his life begins to unravel. His understanding of religion, of love, his professional duties, his personal identity, the very meaning of life can no longer remain the same. One question, one encounter with God in the flesh. And Nicodemus discovers that there's no turning back. He cannot ignore what he's heard or who he's encountered. See, Nicodemus seeks the one called rabbi, which means great teacher, instructor. And he's hoping for some simple clarification. But instead of giving him bland answers, Jesus pulls the rug from underneath his feet. And we see this in our own lives, too. All it takes is one question, one encounter, something unexpected, or someone so unexpected that we are changed. We are born from above, or as other translations put it, born anew. The inclusion of Nicodemus' story in John's gospel teaches us that questions need not function as roadblocks to a life of faith, but that these questions are the building blocks for belief. We also see that John's theology mirrors the cosmic scope of Jesus' ministry. Both are capacious. That means they're spacious and mysterious and powerful enough to give life and hope to those who are unsure how to receive such graces in the first place. A year ago at Princeton Seminary, I took a class on John's Gospel, and the story of Nicodemus really got my attention. The only time Nicodemus appears in the scriptures is right here in John's Gospel, and he only shows up three times. Twice during Jesus' ministry, before the crucifixion, and once afterwards at Jesus' burial. The first time we hear his name is in the passage we just read. And what we learn about Nicodemus is that he has a specific cultural and social heritage. We hear that he's a Pharisee. 
And instantly we may think the word, associate that with hypocrite. But it's so much more nuanced than that. John describes to us, too, that he was a leader of the Jews. And, and what these things mean is that Pharisees were most likely the original custodians of the oral law. That is, they received the law from Moses at Mount Sinai. And they spread it linguistically, through stories, through language, by speaking to one another, just what I'm doing right here today. This was a serious community-oriented responsibility. They were teachers. They were keepers of God's word given to God's people. In the same way that similar clergy may identify with that. It's an important responsibility to keep the word of God alive. So being a practicing Pharisee for Nicodemus meant that he was, he was in charge of keeping the word alive for the people of his, of his city, of his place and time. And we also learn he had some professional obligations. He was a leader of the Jews. One Johannian scholar named Raymond Brown, he notes that to be a leader of the Jews is incredibly significant because it means you're a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. So he's not just a practicing Pharisee committed to teaching Moses' law, but Nicodemus is a public figure associated with the highest governing body of the Jewish people. In verse 10 in the Greek translation, Jesus says, Are you not a teacher of Israel? But in the Greek, Jesus says, the teacher. He acknowledges that Nicodemus is such an intelligent, wise, religious man. And yet, Nicodemus' boss is Caiaphas. And if you've heard that name before, it's because Caiaphas is the high priest who advocates for Jesus' arrest and death. But Nicodemus has a different approach. He's more curious than he is condemning. And like all of us here, our categories of thinking, our worldviews, our natural outcomes of our professional lives, our personal lives, our religious heritage, our life's work. And Nicodemus, he's a legal expert. So when life gets messy, since he knows the law given to him by Moses in the Old Testament, he knows the law is a trustworthy resource for him. It's used to smooth out the bumps when life's messy. Until he meets Jesus. We all have lenses through which we are conditioned to view the world, to view ourselves, to view other people, to view God. And we wear these lenses for so long, are so used to viewing the world through them that we forget they are not permanent. They are a way, not the way, but just a way to perceive all that's around us, including our own face in the mirror. And it's the rabbi, the great teacher standing before you, before us, who dares us to see anew, to hear anew, to be born anew. Nicodemus even admits that there is something extraordinary about Jesus. We heard him say, Rabbi, we know. He's talking for his community. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one can do these signs or these miracles you've performed that you do apart from the presence of God. So what we witness in our passage is a meeting of the minds. See, Nicodemus sought Jesus to clarify a few things. The way a kid stays after class to make sure he understood the teacher's lesson. Just ask a quick question, nothing more. You ask a simple question, hoping the teacher will say, yeah, that's right, go have fun, go home, go play now. But make no mistake, 
God's love is without condition, right? Or his love is unconditional. Jesus dedicates his life to living out this truth. But simultaneously, Jesus shows up in our lives the same way he engages Nicodemus. Because Jesus is not interested in our lives remaining the same. After all, John's gospel reminds us that from the beginning, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That is Jesus. And Jesus is in the beginning and is in the present with Nicodemus and here now. And Jesus is in the business of creating new life and new opportunity and new transformation throughout human history. And Jesus does the same in our own lives. Jesus is far more personal, more gracious, more radical, more countercultural than we are comfortable with. I'll say it again because I think it's pretty true. Jesus is far more personal, more gracious, more radical, and more countercultural than we are comfortable with. This is what leaves Nicodemus speechless. Jesus asks us to take off our glasses, to see anew, to be born anew. And our passage is a meeting of the minds because Nicodemus just wanted to clarify a few things. He was looking for the rabbi to agree with him. He was a learned scholar, after all, an interpreter of religion. And his name practically says as much that he was used to people agreeing with him. Because his name is Greek, it is actually pronounced nikodemos. It's a Greek name meaning conqueror. It comes from two Greek words, nikos meaning victory and demos meaning the people or the public, the victor of the people. And we get the word democracy, demos, you know, from that word too, a government of the people. But the more Nicodemus dialogues with Jesus, the more perplexed he becomes. In fact, Nicodemus fades out from chapter 3 altogether. It's just Jesus' monologue that stands out. Nicodemus is rendered literally speechless. He doesn't speak again until chapter 7. But in our chapter, in verses 6 through 8, Jesus asks Nicodemus and even asks us a single question. How open is your heart to receiving my radical, provocative, life-altering love? How open is your heart? Are you ready for my love? Starting at verse 6, listen to Jesus' words. He says, You know, Nicodemus, what is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Sounds simple. And then Jesus goes on to say, But don't be astonished that I said to you. And here, Jesus now uses the you, meaning it's plural, saying you all. You all must be born from above, that is, born anew. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or from where it goes. This is true for everyone who is born of the Spirit. And in Greek, the word for spirit is the same word for wind. And rightly so, because when we encounter God, it is rarely because we made an appointment with him. 
The same is true of the wind. When we experience it, it comes out of nowhere, but we cannot deny its presence. Nicodemus' story challenges us, asks us, are we prepared to encounter Christ? Could we recognize him today in our everyday lives? Or do our professional obligations, relationships, past traumas, habits, addictions, our attitudes and rhetoric that we embody subconsciously at times, do all these things blind us to the moment we've been craving all our lives? How can we understand what it means to love, what it means to abide with Christ and in Christ when we refuse to be made anew? This is the crisis we all face at one time or another, the refusal to be born anew. I know this was my crisis about two years ago. Sometimes I wake up and think it still is. Because two years ago, I first started at Princeton Theological Seminary. And through a series of classes and questions and internships, just like this one, my identity and meaning for my life was eroding before my eyes. My trajectory Where I was headed, my direction began to look so radically different than anything I ever had in mind. It was terrifying. It still is disarming at times. To imagine a different vocation, because where I'm standing today, I never imagined myself. I never asked for this. I keep telling myself at times, what is going on? See, I once thought I was going to be an editor. My bachelor's is in English lit. So I thought I was going to be holed up in an office, comfortably away from large crowds of people, reading other people's manuscripts, writing edits in their margins, and maybe you're writing edits in your bulletin for me. I would love that feedback. But here I am reading one of my manuscripts aloud to a group of experienced, intelligent, amazing people. And it's terrifying, and it's disarming. And like Nicodemus, I never saw this moment coming. What I envisioned and believed for my life has been radically changed. Jesus took off the old glasses through which I saw my life and handed me a new pair. And so I began to see differently. And now I even begin to dream differently. As one author puts it, Nicodemus is someone we can relate to because Nicodemus is a Christian alter ego. We too come to the light by night and find ourselves challenged on many fronts throughout many seasons of our life. And that is why it begs the question, are my imagination and vocation being stretched in relation to the God of radical love, surprise initiatives, and fresh starts? It took me a long two years to embrace mine. It's taking me more years, too, to embrace this vocation here at the pulpit. It will be a lifelong process, is my guess, because it's still a challenge. That's what I want to ask you today, what I hope you continue to contemplate today and throughout your week. What is the fresh start God is calling you to? 
Are you seeking God's voice or your own expired perspective? The theologian, the theologian excuse me, Karl Barth, says that even though Nicodemus is conversing with the light of the world, he is still under the roof. And as long as one stands under the roof, one can only dream of God. One cannot be in God's presence, abide with Christ, seek to be born anew. Nicodemus teaches us that questions are essential to the process of discovery. In the same way, they're essential to detectives and solving those cases on law and order. But Nicodemus' story also reminds us that our encounters with Jesus often go unrecognized because we are too obsessed with our own comfort, with hearing what we want. What is Jesus asking you in this season of life? Has a steady breeze been blowing for a while in your life? What question can you not get rid of? What question keeps you awake at night? And are you willing to embrace it? For all that you know, but also all that you do not know. Where are you in relation to God? Are you still under the roof, only able to dream of him? So to conclude, and in the spirit of Nicodemus, I want to end with these questions. And they come from a poem by Mary Oliver. She articulates better than Nicodemus, better than myself, how perfectly disarming a divine encounter with the living God can be, and how Christ's love is so transformative we cannot recognize what it is doing to us at first. That in fact, this love is the very invitation we have been waiting for our whole lives. And I pray that when this love, when you encounter Christ, when you embrace your question, that you embrace it fully and that you will know there is no turning back. And these are the questions I pose to you from Mary Oliver. Did you feel it? This question in your heart, how it pertained to everything? And have you too finally figured out what beauty is for? And have you changed your life? Amen.